Sustainability and responsibility, they should be the focus of any businesses, but in a way that uh, it should not be limited to a small team inside a brand or a small team inside business. Sustainability and responsibility should be the USP, should be the unique selling proposition, like the point of differentiation. Hi, we're Autone, and you're listening to Retell Me Something where we sit down with some of the most outstanding leaders and strategic thinkers shaping the retail industry. Together, we'll delve into the ins and outs of this ever-changing industry. So come along with us as we take you behind the scenes to investigate and understand the world of retail like never before. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Retail Me Something. Today, we have the honor to welcome... Shanaid Gariab, who is program leader at Marangoni School of Fashion and Design London, and also a sustainability mentor that launched her book recently with Sally. Hi, Shanaid. How are you? Today. Thanks for having me. I'm very good. I'm very good. Thank you. And following the book, I'm actually off to Copenhagen. Uh, there is the sustainability summit that is starting tomorrow. So I'm very happy to record this podcast and then. Uh, join the sustainability leaders in Copenhagen. Thank you. Could you tell us a bit more about, about you, what you do, a bit of your background? So um, I'm Italian originally and I'm from Milan. My family is from Eritrea. I was born uh, and raised up in Milan and I moved to London 14 and a half years ago. Uh, initially, I studied with the CIM at London Met and then after I finished the uh, Studying in London, I started working for Burberry at the head office. I was very lucky to start my career at Burberry when uh, Angela Arendt was the CEO. So the CEO was Angela Arendt and the chief creative director was Christopher Bailey. It was back to 2009. It was a very exciting time for Burberry because at that time it was the beginning of the digital transformation of Burberry. Burberry was one of the first leading luxury brands that they started the digital uh, journey and yeah it was very exciting to see Angela in the company um, her level of innovation that she was bringing uh, to the office uh, Angela has been definitely a very inspiring uh, woman leader uh, for me and for, for my career and after Burberry I worked with Matthew Williamson, Pringle Scotland and Joseph my role has been always in uh, business development so not so much creativity but I was uh, mainly dealing with uh, the big numbers and uh, the budgets and the buying uh, of the big retailers, the buyers. In terms of buyers, I had a mix between uh, the Palma stores and multi-brand stores, and in general, my markets of jurisdiction, of uh, responsibility. My markets have been always EMEA markets, so Europe, Middle East, uh, and Asia. And uh, seriously, I had the best stores under under the sun, I can say that, uh, from Galerie Lafayette, Bon Marché, Printemps, Marcos, Arvinicos, uh, so definitely, it was very exciting for me to start my career in this way, in business development. I had the opportunity to travel, to visit my buyers, to travel to fashion weeks, uh, working with my buyers for the buying every season. And uh, how did I meet you? Uh, well, uh, one of your colleagues, she is a former student, obviously, to Marangoni. She graduated in business back to 2017. And I started teaching uh, about 
eight years ago. At the beginning, the link with education was mainly through the sandwich year. So I had students coming into the different uh, brands where I work and spending with me the nine months of the sandwich year. So I was the point of reference for their internship time. And they were next to me. They were traveling with me to Paris, to the showroom, to meet the buyers. And at the end of the internship, they were meant to also write like a little reflective journal. And everyone was always mentioning how I was, um, you know, as an inspirational person, very supportive. And then I got the attention of the career service team here in Marangoni. And I still remember that uh, I got an invite for coming here, sorry, and uh, delivering a, a lecture on my role. Uh, so at the beginning, I was just a guest speaker. And then I was enjoying the dynamic in class. I can talk for hours without any issue. Isabella can confirm your, your colleague at the office. Yeah, and then in 2015, I helped uh, for some validation projects of new courses and then uh, I applied to be program leader for the new business courses in, in the BA uh, business. And at the moment, the business BA is structured in three different pathways, business strategy, business buying, and business communication and new media. And yeah, I'm a bit of a hybrid profile, a mix between academia and industry. And having studied business, I think it's so important in fashion business to have the experience of the industry. Because otherwise, it's just unrealistic knowledge that doesn't have a context. So even when it comes to well, you know, teaching range planning, costing, uh, I can see in my personal experience, but also in other team members, that if they come from the industry, they have a better understanding and they can really give the extra when they are teaching in class. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, completely agree with you. Um, and when you have this experience to add on to theory, it always does magic. So yeah, you mentioned uh, when Isabella mentioned that you were going to join the podcast, I was so excited because you're very, very inspirational and you've done the industry, but also teaching and now launching your book. So uh, can you tell us uh, what was the inspiration behind the conception of, uh, of your book? Yeah, so as I said, I co-authored the book, The Second Professor of My Team, Sally. And actually, the idea, I have to confess, came from Sally. And it was just after the first lockdown, so back to summer 2020. So during lockdown, obviously, we had to switch quickly from uh, teaching in a class to teaching online with all the pros and cons. And it was definitely a very difficult time for the team, for the students. And uh, from an academic perspective, the main area that we really tried to preserve and, and to keep stable was the teaching experience, the learning experience of our students. So obviously, we were delivering a lot of lessons online, mainly, mainly online. But at the same time, we started having a lot of in-conversation with online, with our guest speaker, with our industry guest speaker. And we created like a sort of daily TV schedule. So after all our lessons, we were, we were having extra guests coming in around 4, 5 p.m. And we were having one hour, 45 minutes in conversation with our students. So Sally was very strategic and clever. She said, why don't we try to combine and put together so much knowledge that is coming from the industry with a proper book? So then uh, we came out with this idea to put together a book that could be like a sort of a bridge between academia and industry on um, 
on a very important topic, sustainability and fashion. And actually, we decided instead of using the uh, terminology of sustainability, we decided to use responsible business because sustainability is mainly related to the environmental side and uh, responsible can really embrace a more holistic perspective on how a business can be a honest business, a sustainable business, a transparent business, looking not only at the environmental, but also the social and ethical. So, so behind the book, there is like a specific context that was that very peculiar learning context that was during the lockdown. And then also from an academic perspective, we felt the need to have uh, a new framework because actually the USP of the book is uh, having created a framework, a framework with nine criteria. So then uh, brands and retailers, they can use those criteria in order to assess where is their responsible commitment within the business because uh, you know a brand could be responsible when you're looking at uh, which fabric they are using for the product but then when it comes to you know the ethical size or how they're treating the employers or how the workers um, are treated in the factories or how is the social and ethical and environmental impact of their stores? Maybe there are areas where they, they miss points. So having a criteria, a set of criteria like framework can really help brands and retailers to have a more engaged approach to how to be a responsible business. Very interesting. And I just want to reiterate the name of your book. It's Responsible Fashion Business in Practice. And I'll put the link in this description of the podcast. But no, very interesting. And I went to your book launch and you were talking about this framework. And it's true these days. And you, you were mentioning how important it is to have a, a framework and have goals to achieve. So that provides you, uh, provides you with it. So no, really interesting. And who is the intended target audience for your book? So um, the target audience is a, is a mixed audience. So definitely it's, a, it's an academic publication. It came out with an academic publisher, outlet. Uh, so uh, students, NA and uh, BA students. But at the same time, just because we, we created a strategic tool, a framework, at the same time, it's definitely also for professionals, for people that are in the industry and they really want to, have a, a better understanding of how their journey ability can be structured, can be consistent, because in the end, uh, the element of consistency and structure can really have a huge role in the next few years uh, for businesses that they really need to have an effective approach to, to be a responsible business. And then also the framework has been... Uh, Cover now with, with a patent. So we got the patent certification. And in the introduction, we were so lucky to have a, a senior partner from McKinsey Fashion Division that discussed uh, why at the moment uh, is so important together with all the various regulations that are coming out. Uh, this senior partner was able to discuss validity and the current uh, importance that the framework could have now in the industry. So definitely industry and students can be the main target. Perfect combo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you have any, could you share with us your favorite part of the book? 
Um, well, I just mentioned definitely the introduction where actually we have the validation of the framework from a member of the McKinsey office. But then at the same time, I really like the conclusions of the book because after we analyzed these nine criteria, in the conclusion, we had uh, similar to the forward introduction, we had again another important uh, voice that uh, contributed. It's EcoAge. EcoAge is, um, is a strategy consultancy creating solutions in line with science, nature, human rights, sustainability. The two key names that probably you're familiar with are Livia Ferf and uh, Nicola Gigeli. And Nicola, uh, Livia's brother, signed the conclusions. And uh, for the conclusions, we decided to ask him a very simple question. We, we asked him... Uh, what uh, will be the key themes that will push uh, forward and over the next 10 years when it comes to responsible business and honest business in fashion. So then he highlighted uh, some key themes. I think the first one is the most important because Kola is discussing on how uh, sustainability is a complex issue and sustainability and responsibility, they should be the focus of any businesses, but in a way that uh, it should not be like a very limited to a small team inside a brand or a small team inside a business. Sustainability and responsibility should be the USP, should be the unique selling proposition, like the point of differentiation for brands and retailers. So then it becomes like a very holistic uh, element that can help uh, in the growth of the business. And then the conclusions is also discussing about the importance of transparency and traceability. I think at the moment there is a lot of work in terms of transparency, but then when it comes to traceability, that is basically how you will be making all the information available to the customers in order to let them know about the steps of the supply chain. I think in the traceability aspect uh, uh, brands and retailers and business in general, they have to work. Everyone is talking about the importance of transparency, but when it comes to the how, that is the traceability part, a lot of work needs to be done. And then in the conclusion, is also discussing about the change in consumer behavior and in particular, the shifts in technology and resources and this digital acceleration that in the post-COVID scenario reshape uh, the whole uh, uh, system. Super interesting. So everyone should be involved, brands, consumers, and the whole company, all employees. So I guess you kind of answered, but I'd love to know, but how is today's retail industry different from the industry 10 years ago? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Big one. Well, yeah, big question. Well, definitely uh, two key driving changes are, are reshaping now the industry. The first one is the digital and then sustainability. In terms of digital, I think we can look at this uh, driver from different perspective. Uh, so, for example, in the, in the shopping, uh, the online shopping is growing, it's becoming more prevalent, and definitely it's impacted the retail industry because if you think also about the growing roles of the smartphone and the shift between uh, e-commerce to m-commerce, uh, Retailers have focused more and more their energy and attention on how to enhance the experience when it comes to e-commerce, but in particular when it comes to the m-commerce, mobile commerce. Uh, then definitely under digital, as a, as a sort of umbrella term, you can also look at uh, 
the adoption of new technologies such as the augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, AI, uh, and uh, in particular, AI is really changing the industry landscape. Even if you think about the link that uh, in the future AI could have for uh, predicting customer experience, the wants and the needs of the customer experience, uh, and then also the link between AI and uh, big dream of omnichannel. I think we heard about omnichannel the last 10 years, but now probably thanks to these uh, new technologies, omnichannel can really embrace in full and uh, it can really have a strategic impact uh, in the development of, of the businesses. And then looking at the second uh, driver of change, sustainability and responsible business, well, definitely responsible and ethical considerations have become more critical factors for retailers and consumers. Uh, and this is reflected in uh, business practices and uh, products. Uh, consumers in particular, during the lockdown uh, of the pandemic, they really understood that sometimes a product is produced on the other side of the world. So then uh, they really understood uh, about uh, how is complex to manage supply chains that are across countries. Uh, so they start thinking about where my clothes are made. So definitely these two key drivers of change, sustainability and digital. Yeah, I would agree 100%. <laughs> Thank you so much. And the biggest challenge then that the, the industry is actually facing today, what would it be in your opinion? Well, in a sort of a domino effect, Considering these two drivers of change that I just described to you, so sustainability and digital, uh, reflecting on the digital element, definitely there is an increasing competition um, among the e-commerce platforms. Uh, the digital arena is growing and growing more and more. Uh, so then uh, there is much more competition uh, uh, in the e-commerce platform. Um, and this is also linked to another big challenge that is uh, the future of stores. I think uh, in the post-COVID scenario, everyone uh, heard about um, you know a lot of debates and conversations. We had a lot of uh, you know in conversation with even uh, on the business of fashion, about the uh, business, and then a lot of uh, reports from McKinsey, BCG about the future of the store, how it's going to be the store of the future. And this is linked to the fact that uh, retailers are facing rising costs for everything from rent, inventory, labor, working in the store, marketing. Uh, so the big question if the store will be there in the future is always, uh, you know, behind and it's still a big challenge uh, to, to understand. Then uh, another big challenge is this uh, changing consumer behaviors. Uh, c consumers are becoming more and more demanding, uh, not only on the product, but also on the experience. It seems that in the post-COVID scenario, the key word is moving from product to the experience. So what is going to be part of the customer journey when uh, a consumer is going to be purchasing uh, a garment or any other product? So experience, experience is the, is the new big challenge that uh, is facing the retail industry now. And then also as a sort of, you know, philosophical, general challenge. I think uh, there is a very deep issue when it comes to what is the right balance between uh, innovation and stability, because we can't forget that uh, the retail industry is an industry that is coming from almost three years of a worldwide pandemic. 
So it's an industry that needs a lot of stability. So it's true that everyone is rushing into innovation. But another big philosophical challenge is uh, what is the right balance between obviously moving towards innovation, but then also creating again that level of stability and growth in the industry. So definitely it's a very complex scenario. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Very complex. Agreed. Um And it's funny, this balance between stability and innovation, I think, is present in many industries and also generational topics. So it is a challenging one. And on to the, the next question for you, what are the most significant changes that need to be made uh, in this industry in order to ensure the success of it? Well, definitely, I mentioned the growing role of experience and probably The concept of experience can be linked to the concept of personalization. And this is linked to a new type of customer that the industry is facing. We're not having anymore a very passive customer that is just the, you know, the target of all the marketing activities. And then in a passive way, the consumer is going to be purchasing products or services. We're dealing with a more mature consumer, consumers that have access to plenty of information. Uh, so that's why experience and personalization can really help retailers to win and uh, have more and more customers. Retailers need to personalize their customer experience by leveraging data, artificial intelligence, uh, and any other advanced technologies that can create uh, messages and experiences that are customized and relevant to the Uh, consumers. Then uh, another important aspect for the success of the industry is also trying to redefine the role of the physical stores. So it's clear that the store cannot be anymore just the place for, for selling a product. I, I read in a couple of reports how at the moment stores can be the the theater of the experience of any 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 brand no and any any retailers so this is a, a clear shift towards an idea of a store that becomes a, an experiential space where consumers can have uh, unique and interactive experiences and thinking about um, interactive experiences definitely new technologies can enable this uh, new type of experiences And then another aspect that uh, is also important for the future of the retail industry, it's more related to what I'm doing now, that is more related to the education. I think it's important also to empower the people that are working in this industry because um, some people are very senior in this industry and this is an industry that quite recently changed massively following the, the COVID-19. So it's important to you know, help uh, employees uh, to to have you know better training uh, courses programs for upskilling reskilling uh, um, you know even if you think about this uh, growing importance of the digital technologies now everyone is talking about uh, metaverse augmented reality how can we strategize our customer experience using AI but how many people in the senior roles they're actually familiar with that so I think in a very humble and practical way is also important for the success, for the future success of this industry. It's also important to, you know, encourage 
an, an effective empowerment of employees thanks to education, training courses, uh, upskilling programs, uh, because then in this way, staff and um, you know senior members that are more prepared about what is changing in the, in the current scenario can also deliver better customer experience, better products for these uh, new customers that are more demanding, that they you know talk about experience. So probably also I recognize an effective role of education for the future success of the retail industry. Thank you, uh, Sinead. And I think you've mentioned a few, but do you then believe in new tech actors? Well, I believe in innovation and progressive learning and progress <laughs> for anything. Even for myself, I, I love to learn new things. I've been, um, I'm, I'm a very curious soul. So whatever something is new, I, I want to discover. So in general, I'm always open to the natural evolution and the progression. So for that, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, like a profile that is against. At the same time, I think it's important to have uh, a very strategic approach. I can see a bit of a fever for some of these uh, new tech actors, such as this uh, crazy rush to, to the metaverse. Uh, I believe that it's important, first of all, to set what uh, is needed and um, what can really create uh, a sustainable competitive advantage. I'm never for something that is a short sight. So anything needs to be alongside that can really bring a, a strategic competitive advantage. And regarding what uh, these new tech actors can bring, well, definitely working more and enhancing customer experience, uh, then I can see probably more than what everyone now is doing with the metaverse, that it's a very basic approach, just experience, experience, avatar. But I can see how new tech uh, actors can actually help for improving inventory management. I can see probably more there instead of just creating avatars and uh, digital. <laughs> uh, I can see a lot in terms of inventory management because a retailer can you know, leverage AI and machine learning to manage uh, inventory efficiently, predicting consumer demand patterns, uh, uh, managing stock levels. That is another big issue. And definitely, if you have that perspective of action, so using this new tech actors more on uh, inventory management definitely your objective is a long-term objective so it's it's more strategic then also new tech actors can help for you know developing uh, better targeted marketing for operations that they can become streamlined and uh, retailers can use um, RFID automation to streamline uh, the operation I can see also another long-term objective when it comes to tech actors and payment processing. So, yeah, I'm open and I believe in new tech actors as long as the the aim is going to have like a long-term perspective because otherwise it's just for short term and then uh, I'm always for the long marathon. So I need to see a full picture of any action that... uh, can be uh, started. So it goes in line with your book. If you uh, you are in for the yeah. long run, yeah. you have a sustain- yeah. sustainable yeah, exactly. growth, and you become responsible responsible business. 
And now ending soon this interview, but what advice would you have given your younger self when you first started your career in wholesale and buying? Oh, wow, well, this is a philosophical question. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely, I'm a very ambitious person, uh, very strict with myself, very disciplined. Uh, so, I don't know, my, my best advice would be try to be kind to yourself. And um, also, it's important to have goals and it's important to be you know, ambitious, but at the same time, uh, we should not be afraid of making mistakes and take risks. Failure is, is a natural part of the learning process. And I think that this I, I, I learned later. And actually, it's by making mistakes that uh, you can truly grow and improve. Then another advice, um, I'm a very sociable person. Um, so it's definitely important to surround yourself with positive people, mentors, role models, uh, As I said, I'm very ambitious and I'm always, uh, um, you know, super in awe when I meet someone that is, um, you know, like, like a mentor, someone that I can learn from. So I always tend to either mirror or, you know, spend time with a person that is interesting, with a person that can really represent an example to follow. And then as a last uh, advice... I'm not really doing that, but in general, uh, something that I also say in class to my students, we don't need to compare ourselves to others. Everyone has their own unique talents and abilities, and it's very important to develop our own uh, uh, skills, pursuing our passions, and uh, instead of emulate someone else's success. I think it's important to have models and And examples uh, around us, but at the same time, we should be aware that we have our talents, we have our skills, and uh, we should, you know, develop our path according to what is meant for us. I love that. I will follow uh, completely yes. th this advice, <laughs> <laughs> and I will let you know uh, how it goes. And to round up this interview, what is your best memory of working um, in the industry? Well, I started working in the industry in a very exciting time. It was the um, 2009, so I remember uh, my, my first fashion week in Paris. I remember all the, you know, the hot places from Café Rouge, La Belle Époque, Café Marly, just behind the, uh, the Louvre, uh, Café Chaplot for breakfast, where all the buyers, they always go there. I remember Colette, when Colette was a name, when Colette was one of my accounts. Uh, and actually, I remember uh, Sarah uh, from Colette, uh, the daughter of Colette, uh, coming to the showroom, placing the orders. Uh, so I have the memories of the, the parties, the excitement of being part of an industry, of this uh, ritual of, of the fashion weeks. It, it's funny to say, but... After a couple of years that you work in this industry, in particular if you are in business development and buying, it's funny to say that, uh, you know, almost every two, three months, you know, that there will be like a Paris showroom or a Milan showroom or a New York showroom. And uh, and it's like meeting your relatives for, for Christmas and Easter. So, you know, that when you are in Paris, you will see those stores and they come to the showroom and they place the order. And it's like like a, like a family gathering and becomes almost cyclical. And <laughs> so then you know that uh, you will be similar 
like in a family, you know that there is Christmas and you see all your cousins and your aunties and, uh, and it's the same. <laughs> uh, you, you know that there is a, a new season and you're buying and you see all the stores and uh, it's nice uh, to have this kind of uh, cyclical gatherings. Uh, then also I have very good memories of the I work for Burberry and uh, Matthew Williamson and both brands that have amazing parties. I still remember the summer party that Burberry had. Uh, it was my first year, and uh, the showroom in uh, Burberry has two floors. So I remember this incredible summer party, two floors of parties, uh, um, drinks, uh, canapes. I remember the, the opulence of the industry at that time. Even in Mafia, I remember very good parties. So definitely, yeah, my, my best memories are linked to this, uh, you know, part excitement of being part of good people <laughs> yeah and then also this kind of you know cyclical gathering in paris and in milan and then mm-hmm. there are the same places for having dinners um you know i, I can't remember how many times i've been to cafe Rook, but every time is always cafe Rook, or how many breakfasts i had at cafe charlot uh, with the buyers in order to you know define uh, the budget only routine stability and comfort kind of yeah or hotel cost uh, in paris yeah from paris yeah. they go there no, <laughs> no i go i go to these places but yeah yeah <laughs> they're still here cafe charlot is still here and <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Because also all the showrooms, they're always in the Marais, the Francbourgeois, and all around there, Place des Vosges. Uh, so. Or sometimes you go there because you hope to meet the buyers that never answer to your email, but maybe. <laughs> maybe you might bump into them. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sinead. It was lovely to have you with us. Uh, so inspiring, and I love this interview. So thank you so much once again. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to today's Retail Me Something podcast episode. We hope you enjoyed exploring the fascinating world of retail with us. Don't forget to follow our LinkedIn page or Tone to stay up to date with our latest episodes and join the conversation. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, please consider sharing it with your friends, family and colleagues. <laughs>